Hello, welcome to another episode of Mental Massage. I'm your co-host, Lorencia. I'm your other co-host, Alice. Today, we'll be honoring the essential workers who have been serving us for the past nine months. In this episode, we'll be discussing how the extra workload has been affecting their mental health, as well as how we can be there for them since they've been here for us. Our first guest is Dr. Duong, and I'll let him introduce himself. Um, I'm an interventional cardiologist. I work at Western Washington Medical Group, um, and um, we also work at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. Um, I'm a heart specialist, so um, the focus of my um, care is on folks with heart disease, and in particular, I spend most of my time uh, doing minimally invasive um, procedures uh, for for heart disease, whether or not that's uh, coronary artery disease, valvular heart disease, or peripheral vascular circulation disease. Um, that's what I spend most of my time, about 60 to 70% of my time is doing that, and the remaining third is about um, taking care of patients at the bedside in the clinic. Oh, so it sounds like based on like surgeries is taking care of patients, and mm-hmm. so now that COVID has happened, how has it like affected your work experience or like new guidelines on how you can interact with patients mm-hmm. um, or your hours in the day? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest impact um, has been two folds. Number one, um, it's really brought forth uh, the use of what we call telehealth or telemedicine. You know, historically, um, seeing patients has been done strictly either in the office or in the bedside when patients are hospitalized. Um, there's always been this discussion about doing telemedicine or telehealth visits where essentially we're doing, um, you know, visits uh, virtually. Um, and, you know, um, there's always been hurdles uh, regarding that. But with the pandemic, it really thrusted the need for virtual visits for safety purposes. A lot of our patients are at higher risk for um, severe complications from COVID infection. And so doing, you know, telemedicine visits uh, has been very helpful. And it's also been very helpful for folks who live far away, who have, you know, a difficult time with transportation or just, you know, getting to our office. Uh, you know, we have patients that travel, you know, potentially an hour or more just to, just to see us, you know, for a 20-minute visit. So it's, it's logistically helpful. Um, that's probably, you know, been the biggest impact, um, doing more telehealth, telemedicine visits. You know, the other big impact has been, you know, all the safety precautions that have been instilled both, you know, in the outpatient setting as well as in the uh, the hospital. You know, in the outpatient setting, we've really decreased the number of folks needing to work inside um, our building. They've decreased you know, the risk of infection. Uh, we've restricted, um, you know, family members or friends who um, come in, you know, with patients, you know, safety precautions. There's turnaround time where the staff have to wipe down the rooms as well, too. Um, you know, in the hospital, um, again, there's universal masking um, policy, wearing goggles or face shields. Um, and uh, we're really trying to push all folks who are hospitalized now uh, to have COVID testing as well, too. So how has, I know you mentioned a little bit before about like minorly invasive procedures. Has that mm-hmm. still been going on during this time? or um, It has. Initially, in, in as I recall, um, April and May, um, the the hospital uh, mandated uh, you know um, only urgent or emergency procedures to be done. Um, a lot of our cardiac patients you know fit that bill, but there's also a significant um, uh, portion of our patients, especially on the outpatient uh, basis, um, who have elective procedures, meaning that it can wait um, one to two months or, or whatnot. And a lot of those elective procedures had to be canceled or rescheduled. Um, so that was a big impact in terms of, you know, our day-to-day practice. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you know, during the summer, um, those restrictions were lifted and a lot of those patients came back. But 
you know, currently we are still doing elective procedures, but you know, with the concerning rise in COVID numbers locally and, and nationally, it may come to that again. Um, that's not the case um, as as of at least today. So, can you like tell how uh, at home how has that like maybe balancing your work life at the hospital and your family life um, maybe more difficult or maybe even better since you all are spending a lot more time together now? Um, you know, um, um, the the telehealth um, has been. Uh, in general, uh, a good addition to the practice. I think it's a lot of different facet of ways accessing our patients. Um, you know, my wife, uh, who works at Virginia Mason, she's uh, she's not a, a care provider. She works in human resources. Um, has had to do virtually most of her work at home as well. So, as you know, we have uh, two teenagers uh, who also have to do um, distance learning at home as well. Uh, when, when I do do telemedicine. Um, it's split in three areas. It's sometimes I, I do it at home, sometimes I do it at my office clinic, and sometimes I actually do it at the hospital as well too, in between times, between procedures. Um, you know, we'll occasionally have telemedicine visits uh, that I can do through my smartphone, you know, sitting you know, uh, in, a, in a meeting room somewhere at the hospital. So that's also been um, a nice convenience, being able to see patients that I would normally have to drive back to my office to see. Now I just have to find a quiet place um, and have a cell phone with good reception and we're good to go. So do you think like this shift has been overall positive or negative? And maybe I, I think the shift has been positive in the sense that unfortunately it took something huge like a pandemic in order to push this forward. It's always been you know, resistance to change. There's always been you know, some level of bureaucracy um, that uh, has impeded this. Um, you know, this has been supported through um, you know, Medicare, you know, Medicare for the longest time held up uh, a lot of requirements in order for us to do, uh, for us to be reimbursed for, for telemedicine visits. And now see telemedicine um, as being part of modern day medicine you know, moving forward you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, I guess we've seen a bit more on mental health. Do you think like the people around you or you have been affected by this pandemic? in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, certainly the answer is yes, just like really in e- every other aspect of life, you know. Um, um, you know, when it first came about, you know, there were members of our healthcare team that, you know, tested positive for COVID and really no one really knew what to do. Um, and there was a lot of stress in terms of who was exposed and the like. And, you know, fortunately, uh, no one really got sick from it. You know, um, everyone was able to return to work. Uh, but there's been, you know, disruptions in terms of being able to see patients, uh, keeping up with, uh, uh, you know, our obligations to the community, um, obviously safety to ourselves and, and just the, you know, the mental well-being of us in general, not being able to, you know, see our family, see our friends. Um, there, there's, there's obviously been a lot of stress that's, you know, both social, both health-wise and, you know, from a, from a business standpoint as well, too. So um, I think this is just one of those events in life where um, perseverance, you know, um, is important. Um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we, we've got to adhere to, uh, you know, um, wearing our masks, staying at home as best as we can um, until the vaccines are widely available, then we'll be able to get back to our normal life. Uh, we just got to put in the work now. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. I really oh, no problem. you coming and talking with me today. Our next guest is Han Lee. I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, um, my name is Han Lee. I am 22 years old and I am a sushi chef and also a member of the Washington Army National Guard. In what ways do you think the pandemic has affected your work experience, such as hours, new guidelines? 
Um, yeah, for sure, like this pandemic has affected my civilian life as a sushi chef because we're just a lot busier, uh, which is crazy to think about because we definitely thought we'd get slower, but it has been a lot busier. And so rather than getting more hours or less hours, uh, it's been more that we just need more people on the floor. And so you do get more hours, but at the same time, not if that makes sense, just because we have so many people and we all need to spread out our hours correctly, I guess, or just equally distribute them. But when we are there, it's just constant. We're just always working, putting out orders. Um, it's a lot of Uber Eats and DoorDash and Postmates and to-go orders and things like that, especially now. But even when we did do dine-in for a little bit, that was also busy. And so, but it's been good because, yeah, it's just good to have that experience and to work and enjoy working with other people. Time flies when you're busy and it goes slow when, it goes slow when you're not. How about your National Guard? Uh, in the National Guard, we... It hasn't changed too much other than sometimes things get canceled without us expecting it. And then a lot of people are trying to go to schools like because we have schools in the army for you know certain skill sets or to become qualified to do something. And a lot of those got canceled or they moved to online instead. Uh, in terms of like what it's like to just be a regular enlisted guardsman, you know, it hasn't changed much. Um, so yeah, it's a bit about the same. We wear masks, you know, we do everything we're supposed to. Other than that, though, with the guard, uh, one thing that was new with this pandemic is uh, they asked us to go on act state active duty or Title 32 orders, which is like active duty um, funded by the state. Uh, so basically, we would drop our civilian jobs and we would go and help out in whatever needed, whatever was needed. So there was like COVID tracking sites and COVID testing centers, COVID test building centers or test making, I guess, test making centers. We had food bank distribution centers where we would go and sort food, which is what I did when I got called up to do it. Um, and basically, it, it kind of puts a halt on your civilian life, but it is good because we're helping out other people who need it. Uh, the food bank was really awesome because we got to make these food kits for these people and we were just helping out those who couldn't provide for their families uh, in whatever way we could. That's amazing. That does sound like a lot of work, though. How has that changed balancing your work life with your outside work life? Has it made it more difficult? Um, to be honest, there isn't much to do right now anyway. So uh, the new changes of like what your job becomes isn't a big deal because for the most part, your hours are going to stay the same, right? Most people who work restaurants work 50 hours or 40 to 50 hours a week. And that's totally normal. And they continue to do that throughout this pandemic. And so really, you just have more, you have free time that is really just free time, not, you know, you can't really go out, hang out with your friends, you can't really do any of that. So it's just free time for yourself. And so it's, I don't know, it hasn't really changed the balancing of your work life and your life. I guess the harder part for me was having to go do state active duty instead of working on my civilian job, which for me, like I've only been doing sushi for three years now. And so I still want to get better and I still want to put the time in and I'm still young enough to be able to say like, oh, I don't know how to do that yet. Um, or not enough experience. So they're just, it's, it's put a halt on that of getting better at my craft, but that's okay because, you know, it, I signed a contract. If I'm called to duty and it's something even as minimal as, you know, making food kits, I'm going to do it because that's what I signed up for and that's how to help people, which is partially the reason why I went Washington National Guard instead of, you know, regular active duty or even the reserve is because it's, a, it's an organization that really focuses on the state. And so we're the ones who go out there for wildfires and for just any sort of, emergency in the state we're the ones who get called up to help out for those kind of things i think i think using your time to help people is amazing i think a lot of people want to do that but they just don't really have the chance right now because not a lot of places are looking for volunteers that are underage 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, like people think like, oh, they're the ones who are whose life has changed the most, but it's actually the exact opposite. We're the ones whose lives have changed the least. Just in general, like being an essential worker, as they call it, quote unquote, it, it really just means that our life didn't change, you know. Uh, traffic got better. That was pretty cool for a little bit. It got worse again, but you know, it basically just means that you just do your job. And that's what it's been for most of us. I feel like unless, you know, different industries, I'm not too sure, but I think most blue collar essential workers have just been going to work. And that's, that's literally all it is, is that we've just continued to daily basis. Most of us are doing the same thing. We, we wake up, we go to work, we come back home, you know, hasn't changed too much. <laughs> Thank you for, um, correcting a common misconception that people might have. Anyways, what are some resources or methods that you think helped cope with these new changes that the pandemic came with? I think for the most part, for me anyway, wearing a mask, like, because that's the biggest change for me, right? Wearing a mask and not being able to go out. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like, I think, okay, so let's tackle that one first, where a lot of people have a problem with wearing a mask, <laughs> and I, I can't seem to understand because... I mean, if you're gonna keep people safe by just by putting on a mask, it's not really that big of a deal, and you should probably do it just to help help out and do your part. So it's crazy to me that people are are so against this idea of wearing a mask, especially because you know if you just if you get a cloth mask and you wear, you know, for two days and you switch it out every two days or even like less e even longer if you really want to, just because you're lazy. At least you're still doing your part of making sure your spit particles and whatnot are not getting in the air, you know? You don't have to like get a box of medical masks that you have to restock every single day or something like that. And if it's helping people, it's helping the state stay safe, then why would you not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, other than that, not being able to go out, yeah, that sucks. But I don't know, you hang out with your friends, you do virtual things, you play video games with them or, you know, Zoom calls, <laughs> chat them more, watch more movies, catch up on all this stuff, maybe learn a new skill set uh workout maybe though i have not been doing enough of that but you know <laughs> it is what it is um but yeah on that note uh have you noticed how this whole thing has affected the people around you that know you have your parents like been worried about you having to go out to work yeah for sure at the very beginning my mom didn't want me to go to work at all which i understood and so even for a while i didn't i actually told my boss i couldn't go to work and i stayed home uh and then when the guard called me up, I was like, hey, I'm kind of going crazy here, just being stuck at home. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go help. And she was like, OK, actually, she was not like, OK, <laughs> she was very against it. It's still. But my dad would convince her like, yeah, just let him leave because he's probably bored out of his mind. So that was good. And now it's just a normal thing. Like I go to work and nothing's really happened. I've had a couple COVID tests, you know, because there have been either with the guard or with uh, my civilian job. There have been moments where I was like, oh, maybe you might have it. So go get tested and see what happens. I definitely think like my family is grateful because we all live together still. And so none of us are going like crazy just by being alone at home. But I do have a couple friends who are home alone and they, they, they even work from home, like, you know, virtually. And I know they're going a little stir crazy because they're just stuck at home by themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think are things that non-essential workers can do to like help support essential workers? It's strange though, because like non-essential is not even a term anymore, really. Like essential worker has become such like a, mm -hmm. a a a misnomer now because everyone works now, right? They all work from home, because like basically like the the economy is built up in two different parts, two different sectors. We have the blue collar workers who have to go into work, and then we have like the white collar workers who don't have to actually be there to work, right? Like like office jobs, and so what we what we've seen now is that blue collar workers, who are technically the all the essential workers, right? 
I don't think there's any job that isn't considered essential anymore because like even barbers are needed or considered essential or like auto auto repair is considered essential. I, I don't know. I'm just listing things off, but there's a whole bunch like dealerships are open. Um, and so like these people, they go to work and then there's white collar people who are considered non-essential, but they still go to work because they do work from home mm-hmm. with computers uh, digitally. So I'm not, I, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I, I do think like in terms of how can non-essential workers or people who don't have to go out there and go to work, how can they help people who do have to go out there and go to work? Wear a mask, stay home if you can. Uh, just in general, like the faster this pandemic is over, the faster that we can move on with our lives. Uh, it's crazy to me that, you know, cases keep going up or that people are just refusing to do things. Like I've heard of restaurants who refuse to close down during the second shutdown, oh. which to us is like, what is wrong with these people, right? And then I don't know, I guess on the other side of the spectrum, you know, they want to pay their bills. They want to pay their employees. They don't want to fire anyone. I guess it's, it's valid, but either way, I think the biggest thing people anyone can do, it doesn't matter if you're essential or non-essential, is just, is just abide by these guidelines, you know, put on a mask, stay home, stay six feet apart, you know, stay safe, basically, and just make sure that you're not the one exposing people to COVID. Yeah, I definitely think that that would probably be best is as soon as this pandemic is over and life can go back to normal. That's that's what helps everyone. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Uh, be sure to stay safe with your families this season. Uh, put on a mask when you go out. Our last guest is Jolie Fernandez, and I'll let them introduce themselves. My name is Jolie. I'm a firefighter paramedic for the Mukilteo Fire Department. I've been involved in fire and emergency medical services for about 25 years. Um, I started this career as a volunteer when I was 19. thought I was pretty invincible and didn't even consider the emotional impacts of like what this job would bring. While there's some you know tough times, positive part of what we get to do certainly outweighs uh, the negative. Every day we come to work, we get the opportunity to make somebody's worst day a lot better. Um, that being said, we've also all seen a lot of things that no one should, should see. You know, all of us have a, a closet of skeletons, which we like to call it, and those are the calls that we just we don't want to remember. So the reason I bring that up is because we're talking about mental health. Um, the difference between a bad call and this pandemic is that there's no getting or in for the stress of the pandemic. While those bad calls sometimes come back to haunt us, the threat, I guess you could call it, of that call is over, um, like emotional threat, maybe you'd say. And for the most part, we can compartmentalize that and put it to rest. Um, COVID is not like that. COVID is, it's all-encompassing. It's, it affects every aspect of our lives on and off the job. It's not something we can forget when we go home. And, you know, as I mentioned, there's just, we don't know definitively when this is going to end. Most of us join fire service because we want to serve our community as a team. We spend about a third of our lives together responding to calls, solving problems, creating, working out, eating together, and then, you know, fixing things. We claim the other ship broke. The COVID safety protocols, as you all know, require we wear a mask when we're within six feet of each other. And lots of Lots of those team activities have been eliminated or severely impacted. So I know that this COVID, the COVID's going to change the way we respond to calls for definitely the rest of my career. Um, just the, the level of personal protection equipment that we wear. My hope is that it hasn't permanently changed the social dynamics of, of the fire station. So that's a pretty important part, I think, to most of us that do this job.
So speaking of changing uh, our level of increasing our level of personal protection equipment, on every EMS call, we now are required to wear what they call level three PPE, which is gloves, gown, goggles, and an N95 respirator. Um, with a mask on, it's really hard to hear each other. It's really difficult to communicate with our own crew and the patient as well. So if you think about communication is 7% words, 38 is voice, tone, rhythm, and 55% is body language, including facial expression. We've kind of eliminated most of those, or at least decreased our ability to communicate. And, you know, not only to communicate with our crew members, but talking with the patient is really important and that they can understand you so they can they trust you. You think about going to your doctor, and if you don't trust them, you're probably not going to be, you know, 100% honest about your medical history. So now, let's say you call 911, and you don't know me, or my team, my crew, or having a really difficult time talking to each other. In addition to the communication part, we're really not able to connect, like, a pure personal connection with our patients that a lot of people really want and need when they're sick or injured. So COVID changes, COVID protocol changes. Um, how has that affected my balancing my work and home life? And has it made it more difficult? I'd say yes, extremely. I'm really careful about who I associate with. I know that just because of my job, I'm exposed to COVID more than the average person. And I certainly don't want to share it with anybody else, whether they're friends or family or strangers. So there's not been a lot of social interaction. I think I've had four like in-person, actually designated social interactions in the last nine months since it started. Um, I've seen my parents once in the last year, which is kind of you know frustrating. They're 76 years old, but I certainly don't want them to get sick. One of the good things that's come out of this is that I now I've talked to my parents on the phone every day, almost every day, I should say. But we used to talk maybe once a week, once every two weeks. So that's been something that I'm, that's a behavior I won't change after this is all over. The best resource that I had was my gym. Now, really small classes, but I've got some physical exercise, which, you know, helps with stress. And then there's a personal connection, even if it's with that small group of people. And then mental health of people around me, how have they been affected? I noticed, I think I talked about communication, um, and how that's really been encumbered with the mask. And I definitely see that at work. We're all a little bit more on edge. We, we have a really unique dynamic at the fire station. I think this is probably true for fire stations all over the country is you have a combination of people with very different backgrounds and beliefs. And usually we, we can get along. We work together fine. We enjoy each other's company, even if we don't agree with each other. And it seems like COVID has exacerbated our differences and just made us a little, a little bit more short with each other and not as patient. And so that's been frustrating for sure. So what can non-essential workers or non-essential people do if you know an essential worker? So the best thing you can do is please wear your mask, use social distancing. The sooner this is over, the better it is for essential workers, non-essential workers, everybody in the country and the world. I, I know the pandemic is going to have some consequences for your generation, I guess is what I'd say. Like, it's going to change the way the world works, our country works forever. And I hope that you guys see this as an opportunity to make a significant change. 
So the pandemic of 1819 and killing 20 to 50 million people worldwide actually resulted in some good things for medicine. It was the catalyst for preventive medicine and for vaccines. I think your generation has the ability to write the next chapter in history, and I think you guys can do something great with this. Until this is over, the other ways you can help us is, you know, number one, take care of yourself and your family, wear a mask, exercise, eat well, talk to each other, talk to yourself, talk to your dog, talk to your fish, whatever, whatever makes you happy. Uh, the second thing is to reach out to people, especially to people you think don't need your help or don't need someone to talk to. Thirdly, be patient and kind to each other. At the grocery store, gas station, online, everybody's frustrated, everybody is stressed, and so if we can remember to be nice to each other, that is really important. And the fourth thing, if you want to go and be above and beyond, donate or volunteer. Um, some suggestions would be the Mukilteo Food Bank, the Cocoon House, Domestic Violence Services of Snohomish County, Mukilteo Firefighters Benevolent Fund, or any organization that supports the community of Mukilteo. So thanks so much for having me today. I hope I was able to give you some insight into what this is like from a central worker point of view. And I hope you all have a safe and happy holiday season. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Look out for our next episode in which we will be discussing social media addiction with our peers and speakers from the Center for Humane Technology. Stay safe this holiday season and take some time to check in with the essential workers you know.